Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Relationships can be a source of tremendous joy. They can also be a source of tremendous pain, especially when they come to an end that we just weren't ready for. Relationships have a way of becoming central to our identities. They become part of who we are. They also become part of how we see the future and how we envision the rest of our lives going. So when a valued relationship suddenly ends, whether through death or divorce, and that person disappears from your everyday life, there can be a lot of grief in the aftermath. I personally know a lot of people who are currently struggling with this. For example, I know a young couple who had been together for more than a decade and one of the partners suddenly passed away. That shock, that loss, is hard to fathom. I also know several couples who had been in long-term relationships where one of the partners unexpectedly announced the decision to leave that was a complete surprise. Everything seemed normal, but one partner had secretly checked out of the relationship. These folks are all going through a lot and trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together and move on. In situations like this, it's common to grapple with questions such as when is the right time to start dating or having sex again? Or what if you haven't been on the dating scene in years and it has fundamentally changed? Also, what about the flip side of all of this? Let's say you're interested in someone who happens to be going through some kind of relationship loss. How can you best be a supportive partner to them? Unfortunately, there are few resources out there to help people in these kinds of situations, and almost all of them completely ignore the issue of sex, and some even warn people against ever becoming intimate again, and that's kind of messed up. Today's episode is therefore going to be all about navigating relationship grief. Whether you're single or partnered, grieving or not, there's a lot to learn here, because the unfortunate reality is that most of us are probably going to grieve the loss of a partner or relationship at some point, and pretty much all of us will know someone who goes through this. My guest is Joan Price, a self-described advocate for ageless sexuality and author of four books, including Sex After Grief, Navigating Your Sexuality After Losing Your Beloved. I spoke to Joan in the previous episode about sex and aging, and if you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to check it out because Joan has so much amazing information to share. Today, Joan is going to be sharing her own grief journey, which is heartbreaking, but also so inspirational. Joan has practical advice on how to take care of yourself, how to rediscover yourself, and how to open yourself up to intimacy again. This is such an important topic to start a conversation about, and we're going to jump in right after the short break. If you want to increase your sexual stamina, there's a solution, and it's called Promescent. Promescent's Delay Spray has been clinically shown to help men last longer in bed. It has thousands of five-star reviews and is physician-recommended. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet packaging to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place an order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. The Modern Sex Therapy Institutes offers a PhD program in clinical sexology, as well as multiple certification programs in sex therapy and sex education for mental health and medical professionals. You can attend from anywhere in the world and learn from experts on sex and relationships. For more information on their programs and offerings, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. 
You've done so much important work around sex and aging, Joan. And one of the reasons I'm a big admirer of your work is that you shine a light on issues that people often don't discuss. And one of them is the subject of your most recent book, Sex After Grief, Navigating Your Sexuality After Losing Your Beloved. Sex and grief is not something we hear a lot about, but it's an issue that many of us will grapple with at some point in our lives. And it can come in a lot of different forms, from a beloved partner who passes away, to divorce or breakup with a partner who is really central to your sense of self. And the grief we feel from the loss of a partner or relationship that we loved so much can really be enormous, and it can be really difficult to move on with your life. For example, people often grapple with when is the right time to start having sex or to date again. So let's talk about sex and grief. So as a starting point for that, Joan, can you please tell us a little bit about your own personal experience with this and why you wrote a book on this subject? Yes, I have talked a lot about Robert, my great love, being the inspiration for all my senior sex work and starting to write about senior sex and speak about it because of my great love affair with him. I only had seven years with Robert. He died of cancer in 2008. By that time, I already was reasonably well known for my work in older age sexuality and my my job as a sex educator. And yet, Despite that, after he died, I went numb sexually. I didn't even want to indulge in solo sex because any time I did, it just left me in tears. The person who I wanted to be having sex with was dead. I kept a journal at that time. I kept two journals at that time, and I really recommend that. One journal about my grief journey, where I could talk about all the horrible parts of that and the times when I taught my line dance class, because I met him line dancing, he walked into my line dance class. I would teach my line dance class and then I'd go into the locker room and cry. And then again in the car and I would wail all the way home. And so that kind of thing would go into the grief journal. I kept a separate journal that was wonderful memories of Robert, the memory journal. And here's when I'm so happy I have that journal. Here's where I would write about the wonderful, I would capture the moments, capture wonderful moments, memories, little ones, big ones, a lot about sex, a lot about what it was like to have sex with him, a lot about the kinds of joking and playfulness that we shared. And as I kept those two journals over the years, I was trying to make my way into a life where Robert was only a memory. This was super hard. I was despondent for a very long time and I never felt ready for years. I didn't feel ready to have a relationship, a capital R relationship with anyone. And yet, gradually, gradually, my body started coming back to life and wanting touch. And it wasn't so much that I wanted full on everything you can do sex. 
but I wanted to be touched sensually. I wanted to be touched sexually. I wanted orgasms that were given by other than my own fingers and vibrators. And yet I, I was lost. Here, I, the professional sex educator and writer about older age sexuality, was going through something that I didn't understand. I had wonderful grief counselors. I, as I went through my journey, I tried lots of different things. I tried sex with an old friend. I tried sex with a casual friend. I tried sex with a new date. Everything sent me running under the covers. Well, I don't I guess you can't run in bed, but running to the bed and then getting under the covers and crying. I tried an erotic massage. That was really nice. All these things I tried, I put in the grief journal, what I did, how I felt about it. And each time it got a little bit easier and online dating. I would try it. I would stop it. I would try it again. Then it wasn't until 2019 when a wonderful editor that I had worked with for The Ultimate Guide to Sex After 50 she came to me, but this is Brenda Knight, the wonderful Brenda Knight. And she came to me and she said, Joan, is there anything you want to write that you haven't yet written about? Because I'd like to do another book with you. By then she was at Mango Publishing. And I said, no, I'm done writing books. I, I, it takes too long to write a book. I don't know how many good years I have left. And I think that way a lot. I don't know that. And she said, but isn't there something that you haven't written that you're the person who needs to write it? And I went, oh my God, yes. I want to write about sex after grief. By then, by this time, I had winded my way, spiraled my way, gradually climbing that mountain to where I was able to have sex joyfully again and to love again. And so, yes, I wrote Sex After Grief. A lot of it is my journey. I also invited other grievers, as I call them, to talk about their journeys. And I have excerpts from what they went through. Because one of the main things I teach about this topic, there's no one way to do it. There's no one way to do grief right or to do sex right. That it's got to be you on your timeline, which can vary. I mean, I had a griever who wanted to have sex right after the funeral. <laughs> and, and then I have others who say, I probably won't have partner sex again. And then uh, everywhere in between. So there's the timeline. There's who you want to have sex with next. Is It's what kind of sex do you want next? It might not be what you had before. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I know that there was so much pain in this whole journey for you, but that something really beautiful came out of it in the form of this book, because there's really nothing else out there quite like it. And I think it's an important resource for anyone who is grieving the loss of a loved one or a relationship that was really important and core to them. And there's information in there that's useful to people of any age. That's right. You know, this isn't just a book for for grievers. Well, as a matter of fact, it's not just a book for seniors either, because this was the one book that I wrote since I started writing about senior sex that I realized 
okay, this is about grief and this is about sex, but this isn't, although I have a, most of the grievers that share their experience are over 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, some are not because there's nothing that I teach there that you can't, you, you can't lock into at any age. And when you say this is, there's no other book like it, that's the problem. All the other grief books, and I must have read dozens, they either don't address sex at all, or they do it with a paragraph and it's usually cautionary. Don't make any decisions that you'll regret later, so don't have sex with anyone. No, you want to have a kind of sex you never had before, you want to get wild, or you want to you want to engage a sex worker, you want to, whatever it is that you want to do. Only your own belief system should be the arbiter of whether you do this thing or not. Not what anyone else thinks you should do and not what you did in the past even. Yeah. Because you've changed. Grief has changed everything. It is absurd, this idea that you're just basically going to give abstinence education to grievers and say, you know, sex is over. It's no longer part of your life. And what a terrible message to give people who are in this enormous pain because sex can be this really wonderful intimacy can be this really wonderful important source of meaning in life and connection with others and so to lose out on that is just doesn't make sense and they don't even address it enough to say what you just said generally what they'll say is that you may be tempted but you'll regret it later so just wait well wait for what wait for you till you're over grief you don't get over it you get through it you don't get over it yeah and wait till you're ready for another committed relationship. Who knows when that will happen? That's that's not the, the way to make a decision about whether you want to be sexually engaged with someone else. It can be comforting. It can be a great relief. It doesn't have to be another committed relationship that you wait for. I mean, sorry, I wrote a whole book about it. It's a short book. It's a little book. It's an easy book. But it has points I certainly never read in any grief book. I appreciate you saying that everybody's grief journey is different. And there are a lot of people who judge themselves or second guess themselves as they're going through the grieving process. So, for example, some people, when they are depressed and grieving, might become more sexual. Like, so. And, and some people become less sexual, right? So this is something that ties in with the broader literature on depression and sex. There isn't just one effect of depression on sex. For some people, it can stimulate more sexual desire and more sexual activity. And for others, it stimulates far less. So your grief response is normal, no matter what it is. And I think that's important for people to understand, to not blame and shame and judge themselves for how they're responding to it. And if they want to get back out there sooner versus later, you know, there's not one right way to do this. So there's there's no one size fits all answer. You're absolutely right. And you remind me that long before I, I wrote the book, even before Robert died, one of my best friends was a a gay male who was married to an older man and his husband died. And he confided in me as he always had. And he said, I have never been hornier. I just, I just don't know what to do. I want to have sex as much as I can right now. 
And so that's what I'm doing. I'm not telling everyone, but I'll tell you that uh, I had sex last night and I have a date with someone else tonight. And then this morning I woke up next to Ed Solon. And yet he was, although he believed fully that what he was doing was the right thing for him, he still had to, go, to decide, well, who do I tell and who do I not tell? Because people are going to shame me for this. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And it just further highlights how different everyone's experience is. And there's no right or wrong answers here. But I know you talked earlier about how when it comes to putting yourself back out there to re-engaging with sex and dating and intimacy and so forth, everybody's journey is going to look a little bit different. And there's probably not going to be some magical moment where you're like, okay, now is the right and perfect time. But are there any signs you can look for that say, I might be ready to start getting back out there? Like, how do you know when you've sort of reached that point? I wish I knew how you know, because I have not found a surefire way to know. It's when the need for stimulation or pleasure or maybe just a warm body next to you or the smell of another person, you know, can be what you miss can be different. It may not even seem like it's just sex I'm missing, but whatever it is, when that thing you're missing gets stronger than the reluctance to pursue it and when you're feeling empowered enough to put yourself out there, It's so hard to get to that point, and it's so hard to know, am I there? I think I am, but am I? And it might be, I mean, I write in the book about one experience of attempting to be sexual with an old lover many decades ago, and it had been a great relationship while it lasted, and this I hadn't seen him for years. He was going to be in a town near me for the first time. He'd moved far away. And I thought, oh, how perfect. This is the way, this will be my entry. And he knew how I was feeling. And he was honored, he said, to have that that role. And then when it came to it, at the last moment we were in bed together, I froze. I couldn't do it. I said, I can't. I can't. All I could do was picture how this was not Robert in bed with me. And I couldn't do it. And I told him. And he said, he held me and he said the most wonderful thing. He said, tell me about Robert, share some stories. Oh my God, this was a true friend. And maybe if I can give one piece of advice, if if you can emerge sexually with a friend who knew you, who you trust, who might even say something like that if here he is in bed thinking he's going to have sex and no, it's not going to happen after after all. Maybe that's a way to go if there are friends in your life yeah. that might do that with you. I think that's great advice because, you know, if you're talking about re-emerging onto the sexual scene and it's with a casual partner that you don't know well at all, you know, you don't have that communication and trust and intimacy. And so it can make it harder to feel safe and to open up and all of these other sorts of things. So I think your advice there is is really good and, and worth considering. And what I teach now is different from book a hotel for a night with this person you haven't seen in 30 years, 
It isn't that. <laughs> it's more now get sexual in stages. If I had had the foresight to know how things were going to go and that I could have said to this person, this old friend who was <laughs> naked in bed with me, could we just hold each other and kiss and not assume it's going to go any farther right now? Or could I touch you, but as you touch me, check in with whether I want this at each stage. It might seem like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how can you have any spontaneity if I have to say, can I do this? Can I do that? Do you want me to do that? Could I do that? Could I go a little lower? Could I? But actually, it is empowering and it is respectful to be doing that at least at first. I think that's great advice to proceed slowly at your own pace. And, you know, you can apply that model. What you're talking about is that model of affirmative consent and where you're sort of going through the different stages and so forth. And you're right. There are some people who say that doesn't sound sexy at all, but it can be really hot if it's done in the right way. Yeah. Now, another big issue that comes up for grievers is that Oftentimes, they've been in a relationship for a very long time, and then they lose their partner or they go through a divorce, and they haven't had experience dating maybe for decades. And further complicating that is the fact that the way that people date now has changed considerably, and that can seem really intimidating. So how do you, you know, sort of get yourself back out there? You know, do you have any tips you can share on sort of reemerging into what might seem like a very foreign dating scene? I have 90 minutes of tips because <laughs> I've, I've put this into a webinar called How the Heck Do I Date at This Age? This is one of my most popular workshops when I'm doing workshops live because you're absolutely right. There are new rules of dating, but no one knows what they are. Least of all, people who've been out of the dating scene for decades, for maybe 40, 50 years. So yes, there, there are new rules. There are ways to use online dating that work better than other ways. There are ways to present yourself that work better than other ways. There are ways to face rejection. There are ways to open conversations to choose. So I, I don't know how to <laughs> try to distill this into a couple of minutes that you want me to answer it, but how the heck do I date at this age is a, a really important workshop that I recommend. I mean, self-serving to recommend it, but I do. One thing, though, that I will say in answer to that is to figure out what it is you're looking for and not to be... Uh, to really be specific. I have people fill out a form it has three columns. First column, 10 items that are non-negotiable. The second is, would also be nice if, and these are qualities or attributes that would also be great. They're not non-negotiable, but let's, if we have those two columns, we're really going well. And then the third column is, as long as I'm asking, and these are bonus points that you get for something that might seem frivolous. For example, does the driving <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> likes to cook or enjoys dancing. Some of those that would have been really important to me, I didn't dare put in one of the first two columns because this is something I really did because I thought, oh, that's just going to narrow it down too much. 
we can always go out to dinner. We can always get an, an Uber. We can, <laughs> I can go dancing by myself. I don't need my, my partner to dance with me. But the non-negotiables were super important. What are you looking for? in this either this next mate or or someone temporarily casual whatever you're looking for what is it you're looking for what are the qualities and what do you absolutely not accept yeah if non-smoker is non-negotiable put that in the list and then i i suggest people use the dating sites not the swipe left swipe right ones, but the, the actual sites where you construct a profile and you can have several pictures and so on. And then in the profile, you need to imagine that the person who has the qualities in your first column and maybe your second column is scrolling through profiles looking for you. How are you going to let this person know that they found you? So you need to construct your profile in an authentic way that presents you in an appealing and honest way that doesn't sound like all the other ones that they're going to read that day and that lets this person know, I'm looking for you. Stop here, read more closely, and get in touch. And that's something that, you know, might sound intimidating, right? So how do you create this perfect profile? And that's where having an outside perspective, maybe consulting with a friend, somebody who knows you well, can be great advice for kind of getting back out there on the scene, especially if maybe they have more recent experience with this. So talking to others can can certainly be very useful. I think it's important to go in with the right set of expectations that you're not necessarily going to find new love right away. This is something that might take time. It's gradual. And also to not compare everyone that you meet to your former lover. Like I know that that's a really hard thing to do. Your mind is just naturally going to go to the comparisons and it might be in the bedroom. It might be habits that they have at the dinner table. It could be everything. And if you're always comparing to that former lover, I think it's going to be really hard to move on. So I'm, I'm so glad that you have that whole webinar and I hope people check it out because, you know, this is a really tough thing if you've just been out of the dating scene for so long. When we were doing doing workshops in person, which I have not gotten back to, but hope to soon, I I had a two hour version of that of that workshop, and I also had a four hour version of it. In the four hour version, we would take a break in the middle while people wrote their profiles or rewrote their profiles. They were asked to bring in what they had online right now, if they, indeed they did, and that if they didn't, they would write up ahead of time their 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 pre-homework was to write up what they would have in the profile and then we would hear them and go over them and even though we'd only known each other a couple of hours often someone would say or I would say you, you don't mention this but what I really like about you already is this thing about you and it's not in your profile by getting that feedback from other people, even those who just met you are looking at you and have heard how you communicate and what you want, we can help you then rewrite that and have some success. 
I love that. And again, it just speaks to the importance of getting an outside perspective and not being afraid to, to ask for some help. You don't have to go through this all alone. Now, there's something else that you talk a bit about in your book. So much of it is about navigating your own grief and the process of re-engaging with sex and intimacy. But there's also the flip side of this, where someone who is not grieving might want to be intimate with you. So what do you want people to know when it comes to dating someone who has lost a partner? Are there any things that you should or, or shouldn't do? Yes, I have, in fact, a whole chapter in the book directly for people who are dating a griever or want to. And one of the things is expectations. Do not expect that there will be no memories of that person in the home. I had someone in my workshop say, I dated someone who had lost her husband and Her bedroom was a shrine to him, and I just got out of there as fast as I could. Well, the place for the shrine is probably not the bedroom, because that's intimidating to a new person. However, don't expect that memories of this person who was beloved by the person you're wanting to date are going to disappear. Robert was an artist. He was a painter. That's how he earned his living. And my house is still full of 45 of his paintings. And anyone who would go in and say, oh, another Robert painting, clearly she's not ready to date. That's not true. That's not true. But I'm not going to clear my house of those wonderful memories. And uh, so one thing is to not expect that, that this person is a clean slate. The person isn't a clean slate. Another is rather than trying to compete with the memory of the loved one to realize that what your new date brings to the relationship is having loved fully. And that is a good thing because that means that this person has more love to give, knows how to love, has done love right. So instead of thinking, oh, but I want a new playing field, no, to say, I honor what you shared with your beloved, and I am so happy to know you now because you're a wonderful person because of that. Also, to be prepared that as you get sexual with a griever, the griever may halt things, as I did in the hotel room, or may cry to be prepared, but not to take this personally. You are part of this person's grief journey. If you take this on, there are certain things, there are terms you have to honor, which is that this person is going through this and that grief is not done just because the person has met you. If you can, if this is within you, if you have this compassion and empathy, ask for stories about the beloved. You'll learn so much about this person and you'll put this person at ease. You'll put them at ease. They will be able to share with you. They will be able to say, next week is the anniversary of my lover's death. Could we do something to make a new memory? You also want to be not pull surprises. Don't say, oh boy, I'm really going to surprise her with a romantic dinner at this restaurant. 
what if this restaurant was where she used to go with her dead spouse? So don't pull surprises, always check in. That's just a little bit of it. (laughs) And get sexual in stages. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's all amazing advice. and, And I thank you for sharing it. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you about. So in your book, you talk about this concept of the pilot light lover or the first person who really lights up your arousal and desire for the first time following grief. And I think that's really a brilliant term. I love it. And you talk about how this can be exciting, perhaps even overwhelming, and it might make you want to move very quickly because that's the first time you've, you've felt something in a really long time. But you also encourage people to be cautious with those new feelings too. So can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what do you advise grievers to do when they find their pilot light lover and that person really re-sparks their arousal for the first time in a long time? This is such a great topic. Thanks for bringing this up. I have to credit Gail Sheehy and her book Passages for the term pilot light lover. And she was talking about someone who lights the fire, you know, lights the pilot light, gets things, gets things warming up and cooking and maybe burning after a long time without a partner, whether it was from grief or some other reason. And to acknowledge that just because you're turned on sexually and you go, oh my God, finally, I can feel this again. Oh, wow, I love this. This is so exciting. I thought this was over for for us. Let's get married. No, no, wait, wait a minute. Just because someone lights your pilot light does not mean this is your next committed relationship. Enjoy the moment. Just be there. Be there fully and realize that what's going on is that your own body and your brain, your brain is your big sex organ, that they are being ignited in a way that shows that you're capable of sexual pleasure again, of arousal, of being with a new person. Yes, it can happen. It doesn't have to become something other than what it is. Let that be enough. That doesn't mean you can just make that a one-night stand. If you want to keep seeing this person, fine. Be aware that most pilot light lovers are temporary. There may be a lot of, once you come down from the high of being excited again, you may realize, oh, but wait, if I were doing my list of, (laughs) my my three-column list, this person really isn't right for me long-term, but this is great right now. And I will enjoy it. And I will be honest about it. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, this isn't going to last, but we have some time on the clock. Let's go to bed again. No, but don't make commitments. Don't don't encourage them. Don't certainly move fast because the last time you felt this way, you ended up taking on a partner for 40 years. Yeah. Taking things slow, I think, is one of the the big themes here and not re-rushing to do anything. And you can have sex first and then get to know someone. It doesn't have to be the other way around. Yep. And again, everybody's grief process, sexual relationship process, it's all different and there are no right or wrong answers. And I think it's really important for us to not blame and shame and judge people who might go on a different journey than we do. 
Now, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, which is that if you look at the research on breakup and divorce and the ending of, you know, long-term relationships, one of the struggles that I see a lot of people deal with is that they feel like they've lost themselves because the longer you're in a relationship, the more your identity becomes tied to that relationship. And people feel like they've often lost themselves in the relationship, lost their individuality and sense of self. And so when you're going through the grieving process, whether you have a partner who has passed away or a long-term relationship that has ended, self-discovery, I think, becomes really crucial. Figuring out who you are and what you want at this particular stage of life. And what we see in the research is that people who do this, who engage in self-discovery and go out and explore and interact with the world, reconnect with old hobbies they had that they gave up because of their relationship, they actually move on faster through that grieving process. So can you tell us a little bit about whether you have any personal experience with this and, and how self-discovery is important for really navigating that grief process? That's so smart, Justin. Everything you said is just so smart. I could listen to you for hours. In fact, I do. <laughs> yes, the self-discovery partner is so important before trying to move on to another relationship. You can certainly be open to another relationship at any stage of the grief journey that is right for you. But what is essential is your relationship with yourself, that you look at, okay, who am I at this point in my life? Who am I apart from Robert or apart from this person that you've lost? What do I want in my life? Looking beyond a relationship, no relationship, sex, no sex, what can bring me joy right now? And I remember when I was really deep in the mourning process, I started reading novels, which I had always loved, but I'd gotten so involved with work, I thought I didn't have time to read novels anymore. Isn't that awful? When they brought me such joy and such learning. And so I, I, when I wasn't capable of doing much of anything else, I started reading novels because they took me out of myself for a time. And I realized, wow, I love this. I love reading good novels. I wish I had someone to talk to about them. If I weren't so miserable, I'd be really enjoying this. I said that to myself. If I weren't so miserable, I'd be really enjoying myself. So I thought, wait a minute now. I can engage with books right now. I can find a book club. I didn't find the one I wanted. I'll start a book club. I started one on Meetup. It's still going strong all these years later. It's been online, in fact, during the pandemic, going even stronger than it was when we were meeting in person because we need this from each other. So this was just one thing. I was still teaching my line dance class, so I pu pushed myself into that. All right, I am happy when I'm dancing. I'm going to keep dancing. In fact, I'm going to start a new dance class in another venue. And sometimes if you give yourself a goal to do something new, using your talents, using your the things you love, this will help you go through the grief journey because you'll be now relying on yourself moving forward. One thing I learned to do, and this I learned from a grief counselor, when the special dates come up, birthdays, anniversaries, the day you met, the first kiss, all of these, the first sex, all of these 
these important dates as they come up and you feel your body heave from them because your body even, there's a gut reaction to these dates. Even if you, why am I suddenly feeling so awful? Oh, that date is coming up. The grief counselor taught me if on those dates you do one thing to honor your beloved and you do a separate thing to make a new memory, make a new memory. Who would have thought of that? Call a friend that you haven't seen for a while you used to be close to. Say, hey, you want to make a new memory with me? Let's, I have the special day coming up and I want to get out and I want to take a hike in a new place. Where, should, where can we go? So that then a year later, when you're still looking back at this date coming up, you go, oh, but that was also that hike I took with Dan. That was really wonderful. Yeah. I love that advice about making new memories. And it's something that on some level, it seems so obvious, right, to, to make these new memories, but it's maybe not something that we would necessarily think of. And so that's where I think speaking with grief counselors and others who have all of this experience can also be super valuable for giving you these other tools and strategies for coping with the process. And so again, I think it's important to recognize that you don't have to go through this alone and there are support networks and structures out there that can really help you. That's so important. And in fact, one of my grief counselors, and I, I went through several, I had different needs at different times. And different people were available to me. The first grief counselor was through hospice. And this was someone who had, as he put it, white knuckled his own grief journey for two decades without getting help because he thought, I don't need help. I can do this. And then he was now in a position of a hospice grief counselor because he had finally gotten help and realized and had learned so much that he then wanted to help others. And one of his main messages is you don't have to do it alone. It just takes longer if you do it alone. The yeah. same things you have to go through, you're going to have to go through. You're just putting off going through it. And another, another grief counselor likened this process to getting on a train. You get on a train, you can either stay there to your destination, which is working your way through it. You can get off the train at any time, but you're not going to be any closer to your destination. You're going to have to get back on. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think of it, that you can go through it alone, but you don't have to. And if you decide to go it alone, it's probably going to take quite a bit longer. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Joan. It was really a pleasure to have you here and to learn from you. And you're just a fountain of knowledge. And I appreciate your so many important contributions to the field. So can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get copies of all of your amazing books? Everything is at joanprice.com, www.joanprice.com. My books, my blog, webinars, tips, senior sex tips, the film, which we haven't talked about, lots of just about everything I do is accessible there. And the social media is accessible through my my main website, too. So just go there. You'll find it all. And I love talking to you, Justin. You're so smart and savvy and open. I love how you're open to learning more. 
I certainly don't know it all. And so that's why I invite folks like you to come on and to help me expand my knowledge at the same time as we're helping my listeners to expand their knowledge as well. So thank you again so much for your time. And thank you for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, and check out all of Joan's amazing books and follow her on social media as well. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.